Hey, Joe. Robert, how are you? I am doing fantastic on this Friday morning. Yeah, I think you probably should tell the listeners that we had to adjust the timing of this old marketing because we did indeed. Yes, we did indeed. Be- we, I, you know, so it's been an interesting uh, past couple of weeks here in California. Yeah, so you know, a lot of the- people might not know that you are, you know, you live in California, and that's right. And you were awfully close to the fires. Everybody was, it seems. I mean, you know, the, it it is seem it, it has become a yearly ritual in my lovely state that October and November. Um, and especially, it seems, October passing into November becomes fire weather, um, where up in the north they call them the El Diablos, and here in the south they call them the Santa Anas. Basically, you get you know offshore winds, and they become quite strong. And for whatever reason, you know the lack of humidity, the wind, everything, the whole damn state catches on fire, it seems, every year. And so, yeah, we were dealing with fires. Yeah, so. this is not the first time we've had to adjust a recording. I remember a couple of years ago, we had to do the same thing. So why? Yeah. Well, here's, yeah. here's the question that listeners want to know. Why don't you move? Okay. I mean, you're, you seem <laughs> to be in the middle of natural disaster all the time. Well, where would you go? I mean, would you go to the place like Cleveland where you get like five feet of snow every year? and Or would you go to... The New York, where there's now hurricanes, or go to Florida, where there's hurricanes, or go to the Midwest, where there's tornadoes, or you know, where do you go? I mean, it's well, I you know, you know it, it's it, almost like the there's the, like the climate's changing or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so as we record this, it's November first. That's but, correct. Uh, yesterday was Halloween, and yeah. it started. So basically, just to tell you about the weather in Cleveland, Ohio, it was 61, 62 degrees. Very, very nice out, but raining cats and dogs. Yes, I've and, heard. And then in the afternoon, it stopped raining and the winds kicked up. We had 35, 45 mile an hour winds and it dropped to 34 degrees and woke up this morning with, you know, a couple inches of snow on the ground. So that's that's Cleveland weather <laughs> right, in October, exactly November. It. So why I'll, you wouldn't want to move here yeah. I, is beyond me. Uh, Exactly. I, so I will tell you today in Southern California here in Los Angeles, it will be 72 degrees and beautiful sunshine wow, and not a stitch of wind. That's so nice. it's this is why I live here. Well, this, I this, do know that they're still doing the role. You know, they're still killing the power every once in a while. So we probably should get started before. Absolutely. We just yes. lose the whole thing. Absolutely. Let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 220 of PR's This Old Marketing. Recorded Friday, November 1st, 2019. And with me, as always, the next quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. Mr. Joe Polizzi, how are you, my friend? Oh, t- you had to start it that way. I was having such a good day. <laughs> I did my workout this morning, feeling that good about kid, myself, working that, on working on I, my low-fat latte here, and you have I, to throw a qu- another yeah. quarterback conspiracy at me? I, you know, I mean, I, they should put you in the game, coach. Uh, I, I'm just telling you, I, you know, you could do no worse than your kid Baker Mayfield. I got no problem. I honestly, for as poorly as he's been playing, I have no problems with Baker Mayfield. I'm all about the coaching. I and Oh, the coaching know, is horrible. The, yes, the, the coaching the, is horrible. Here's the thing about Freddie, our, our coach, first year coach. It, I don't even care that he, he's learning on the job. We all know this. My biggest thing is... He's not taking any responsibility at all for all the penalties. He's like, ah, you can't coach penalties. Well, tell that to Bill Belichick. Right. Right? Yes, you do. You do coach discipline. So, uh, anyways. Yeah. Well, you know what it shows me is how much football is truly a coaching game, right? I mean, the whole money ball thing is fine, but you you can you can money ball this thing with players to death, but if you don't have good coaching to scheme, you you can't win. And that's that's to me that's the challenge with the Browns right now. Did did we talk about the whole uh, going for it on fourth down last episode? 
Did we no, talk about this? I don't think so. So, of course, you know, I've been, as I've been tweeting out like crazy, I've, I've fallen in love with uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History podcast. I listened to, yeah. I've listened to almost all the episodes right now. One of the episodes talked about, they had some research about football teams, NFL football teams going for it on fourth down. And they did the whole analysis and they looked, they put all the math in and they said, if a football team never punted and went for it on fourth down, all thing, all other things being equal, they would win one more game during the year. They said wow. if they learned how to, and they said if they learned how to manage on for fourth down, they probably win two games per year. But they talked about how coaches aren't incentivized there to win; they're incentivized to look like good coaches. Oh, I saw that article. There was an article on that too. Yep. I saw that it was yeah, fast. It's a fascinating. So, anyways, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw, I'd love them, but just go for it. I don't care if you're on the one yard line, your own one yard line. Go for it. Stop, stop playing safe. Everybody's yeah. plays safe. So yeah, is this a marketing show? I don't even know. <laughs> we should, <laughs> we're do, talking we about. Should do a, we should do a bonus episode that is just football for 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 that would be fun. Why don't we do that? We, nobody was nobody's gonna listen to it but, but it we can say bonus bonus yeah we can say bonus episode hey if you don't like it that's fine but yeah. we're gonna talk about football on this episode and that is to correct. heck with what you want like, we that don't is right care. but we're we not going to do that today today we are going to talk about all sorts of things oh we it's got a good a, this is a good one I'm very as excited one of about our this as one of our friends and family of the show Bethany Johnson said it was a ranty riotous week uh, in the news. Um, lots to talk about, certainly. And our top story, so we're going to move to our first uh, segment of the show, which is the one story that really gets to the theme of the show and kind of tees up the rest of the things we'll talk about. And it broke this week. Um, our friends at Twitter have decided to end political advertising. Um, the show, or the story that we'll link to, of course, in the show notes, comes to us courtesy of the New York Times. And it opens up by saying, Twitter said on Wednesday, that would be two days ago as we record this, that it would ban all political ads, putting a spotlight on the power and veracity of online advertising and ramping up pressure on Facebook's chief executive, Mark Zuckerberg, to reverse his hands-off stance. Jack Dorsey, Twitter's chief executive, said political ads, including manipulated videos and the viral spread of misleading information presented challenges to civic discourse, quote, all at increasing velocity, sophistication, and overwhelming scale, end quote, he said, uh, worried that the ads had significant ramifications to today's democratic infrastructure, and it may not be prepared to handle it. What say you, Joe Polizzi? Good move, smart move, chicken shit move? What is it? Well, I'll tell you, uh, as I was watching this happen live on Twitter, I saw like Scott Galloway and some of the other people that I thought, hey, good for Twitter. St you know, step up Facebook and everyone's coming out and say, thank you, Twitter, for doing this. This was needed. And I felt just the opposite, Robert. I'm like, man up, Twitter. So, th so basically, here's my thoughts. First thing is, by Twitter making this move, and I know they only talked about this being about $3 million in revenue, but $3 million is still a lot of money. And where's that $3 million going to go? It's probably going to go to Facebook. Or it's going to go to television, which neither one of those two options are good, in my opinion. So right off the bat, Twitter makes this decision. They kill it. That money goes somewhere else. That money doesn't just stop. Politi you know, politicians don't say, oh, okay, we're just not going to use that money. They're going to use the money, and they're going to spend it somewhere else. So that's unfortunate to me. The second thing is, this is a review process issue. Now, if you can't figure out the process especially if you're Twitter or any media company out there, there's a problem. They've known about this, and I know they've been dealing with this for a while, as has, I guess, Facebook, even though it seems like every time they talk about it, it's a new issue to them. But, okay, figure out the process. If the process is going to take longer for controversial issues, let's say like climate or like a politician's ad, then charge more. Say, okay, we need extra Review, probably not need to hire extra journalists, whatever it is. It takes more time. Charge them more money. Have it be a premium ad and go through the process and just do it. And that's where I'm frustrated. And I'm really, I guess I'm not surprised, Robert, that the people in our marketing world were clapping for this move by Twitter. But I think it's, it's a cop out. And I think Jack Dorsey, who's the CEO of Twitter, just wanted to lay this all out on Facebook as an adversarial move, because you know 
that in six months, Twitter's going to allow advertising, political advertising. This is just a short-term thing that they made as a statement themselves. I think it's totally meaningless, and I think they dropped the ball on it. So that's now if they're, if they're making their own political move on this, that's fine. But don't just say it's the right thing to do, especially when their organic tweets that are out there are so full of misinformation that they don't care about that. They don't care. They don't care about that. They only care if people are paying for it. But if it's misinformation in any form on our platform, as long as people aren't paying for it, well, that's okay. See, I don't get that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's fascinating. You know, we didn't even talk about this prior to the show beginning and, and whether we sort of had the same take on this or not. It's interesting that, you know, I, I don't know that we're in disagreement, but I but I I do definitely have a different take, okay. um, which is, you know, I like um, I like the move strategically because <clears throat> it's good PR for Twitter uh, when Twitter could desperately use some good PR uh, and it does box in. Facebook and I think so I think it's a smart move on Jack Dorsey's part to do this because the money is so negligible. I mean let's you know so you 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 mentioned it is 3 million bucks approximately on Twitter um and about five times that on Facebook currently. Um at least if you go off the previous campaign spend um during the election year by the way. And so this is, you know, if it's let's call it $3 million for Twitter at a $6 billion total ad revenue. So it's a drop in the bucket. Um, for, for Facebook, if it's 15 or $20 million, let's say, against $54 billion or $60 billion that they're going to make this year in advertising, it's not even a drop Although in the bucket. Although it's quite so, a bit more on Facebook because Zuckerberg came out right because Facebook earnings Let's say came it's out. a billion dollars. Yeah, whatever let's, it is. Let's it's say point, it's a billion it's dollars. It's 0.5% of Facebook revenue. That's what Correct. Zuckerberg said, whatever that number yes. is. Yes. And, and well, it's, it's so they're going to do 60 plus billion dollars this year in, in total global advertising. Yeah revenue. And so it, whatever it is, it's a, it's a, it's a drop and a drop of a bucket, right? I mean, it is such a meaningless number from a revenue perspective, but from a PR and public perspective, in other words, how are we continuing to grow our audience base um, to make it relevant for what we talk about? It's a huge deal, right? So this is much more of a public relations and branding issue than it, it has anything to do with uh, with the actual revenue numbers or what what they would lose or, or gain by by getting or losing political advertising. So I like it from the perspective that Twitter sort of took a move here, made a move here. Um, whether, whether Facebook does anything or not kind of doesn't matter, right? I mean, because in the in the scheme of things, Facebook has more issues right now that they have to deal with, you know, with, you know, the whole thing about them adding Breitbart to the public, you know, news um, and approved news providers to the, what they're dealing with on privacy to what they're dealing with on so many different fronts that this 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 particular issue, I have to think is, you know, they're looking at this going, all right, it's Tuesday, right? We, you know, what are we going to do? So I, I think it's, you know, I, I do think the money will move and I don't think it will move to Facebook. I think they'll move to other areas, but I don't, I don't agree with you that they're, that it's going to be temporary. I think he'll, I think he'll keep to his word here. Uh, where, what, what happened to the advertising review process that it's been around for hundreds of years? Yeah, I get the whole whole thing. Like you got to fact check and things like that. It's just it's more time consuming today. There's more misinformation out there, but they just came out and said we can't handle our own business model. That's what that's telling me. The second thing is, once you go and say political, political is huge, right? You and I know you you could take the word political, and you could wrap that around anything. So that gets in, and they even mentioned in the article about climate change. So there, there. So you're not going to have you can't have BP advertising about their green initiatives, right? Because that's, oh my God, that might be political issue. You certainly can't be promoting religion because, oh my God, that just, we don't know how people are going to feel about that. You know, it's religion. We don't know right or wrong. It's subjective. Uh, we're going to get into hamburgers. We're going to chicken. I mean, Chick, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A is a very religious organization. As we know, they have, they have very, they're very opinionated on certain issues. They don't serve anybody on Sunday. You know, can they advertise? 
because they're out there and they have certain takes on issues that don't involve their chicken? <laughs> well, I'm d- I think, yeah, no, I know. You know you're, where I'm you're, going with this. You're you- arguing the slippery slope. I get it. And so, <laughs> and, 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 I, I, you know, and you may be right. You you may be correct here that, that, that there is indeed a slippery slope of what, you know, it's the whole, it's, it, you go back to the Supreme Court on, on pornography, right? I know it when I see it. And that's kind of when they actually asked him to clarify, that's kind of what Jack Dorsey said, or, or not, it wasn't Dorsey, actually, it was uh, his, uh, uh, his head of legal and, and sort of policymaking, um, I'm forgetting his name, but, but basically said, yeah, well, we know it when we'll see it, right? And so... Uh, you know, you may be right. They may, they, they, they may ultimately find themselves sort of in a backed into a corner where what the what their audience says is political versus what they think is political causes more of a problem than even accepting political advertising. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you know, it has has been said by so many people out there. You know, it, it is it is ultimately their prerogative about what they want their platform to be on a page. It doesn't mean we can't say it. it. Doesn't mean that they, you know, that it doesn't silence Chick Fil A. It certainly doesn't silence anybody who wants to talk about climate change. It just silences anybody who wants to pay for the promotion of those of those kinds of topics. Which again, I make no judgment on the on the whether it's. Uh, you know, right or wrong, I think I, I I think from a business perspective, Dorsey was probably it's a, it's it's a smart yeah. move in the short term. And now that you're saying it, you know, I may come off my my position that that it's as, as short term. It you you may be right there that it that well, it will ultimately be temporal as they they rethink it right and they start saying well basically we're not going to take any money from political campaigns like national campaigns or in other words they may revise it i think that might be the right way to say it well the three million dollars is i know you're saying it's inconsequential but twitter is not doing great financially they're yeah, not three the, million dollars they're in, not yeah, doing I, I get it they're not facebook I get it. right they're just a they're, they're a spec of what Facebook is doing right now. $3 million is important to them. I think this was all PR to agree with you. And I'm going to make a prediction that by May, they're going to come back out and they're saying, so they're going to, so they did the whole PR thing. Great. Good for them. They're going to come back out and they're going to say, we figured it out. We have a new process. We're charging more for it, which is really important because they need more money. We're charging a premium, 15% premium on ads, uh, political ads and quotes. And, we're gonna let them back in. Well, see now right you're into, right in time yeah. for the right in time, by the way, for the big twenty twenty election run. So. Yeah, now you're thinking. Now, now that's I that that I can get behind. That that's yes. They've just uh, allowed themselves to. They've allowed themselves to charge a premium because they're saying it's difficult. So now yes. they can say, we found out. Oh, it is difficult. We agree with our own PR stunt. It is difficult. So now we're gonna charge more. And and everybody's going to say, oh, okay, that makes sense because you know. But yeah. good for your them. friend Robert is vigorously nodding to that idea. That is <laughs> that is a that is a smart smart. Well, thing, the, yes. if if you're looking at the numbers, you're just like, okay, well, let's just say that I think it's more, but let's just say that three million dollar number is right. They're like, how how do we make that four, six million? How do we make that right. four or six million without doing anything extra? Right. Oh, exactly. Let's let's make it sound like it's we harder. make it hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what any any good service does. There you go. There yeah. you go. All right. Enough on that. Let's uh, let's move to our next segment of the show, which is of course our in depth section, uh, which of course has Joe and I picking something from the news that has our attention in the world of marketing and advertising and all of that stuff. Um, I'm going to go first, uh, and because we've got a couple of stories here, speaking of uh, the wonderful world of social media, online startups, etc., Google has been on a bit of a rampage uh, of late, literally breaking today as we record this, and we'll link um, to the Wall Street Journal article here. Google has acquired um, the wonderful Fitbit, um, the fitness tracker. And in a direct uh, challenge to Apple, Google has bought Fitbit for $2.1 billion. <clears throat> so in announcing the news, the Google SVP of Devices and Services, Rick Osterloh, said that Fitbit purchase is an opportunity to invest even more 
in the wear operating system, uh, is which is, of course, their operating system for clothing and that sort of thing, as well as introduce made-by-Google wearable devices into the market. Now, just to quickly uh, cover the other story, and then Joe and I can talk about both of these things. Um, the other is from the uh, Wall Street Journal, <clears throat> and it is Google's weighing acquisition to rival uh, video app TikTok. Uh, Google has held discussions about acquiring a video sharing startup that could help it counter fast-growing TikTok. People familiar with the matter say they're wearing uh, a weighing a deal for Firework, free smartphone app for users to share 30-second homemade videos with strangers. So it feels like these two things are at least a little bit related. Um, yeah, so they're related what, as in Google has a lot of excess money. Yeah. Around <laughs> yeah. They're just going to buy right. everything they can. A little bit of fourth quarter spending money in their pockets. Uh, yeah, you think thinking? so? Yeah, a little yeah. R&D there. They said, oh, hey, we didn't spend this budget. What are we going to do? Let's go. Yeah. Let's go get them. Yeah. Uh, so my take. Well, let's talk about, yeah, let's talk about the Fitbit thing. So the first, I think this is fantastic because. Google has been trying to break in the wearable market for a while, at, uh, and they haven't been doing very well as far as I can tell. So why not just buy a player that's, uh, that's solidified their brand, they've got the technology. I didn't actually realize until reading the article that we'll put in the show notes that uh, Google already purchased some fossil technology from the, the fossil watchmaker. That's right. Um, so I think this is great, and I think what it's going to do is going to open the opportunity for, I just mentioned Fossil. Fossil's going to be sold. Uh, a lot of people don't realize how much Fossil's done in the wearables, wearables market, and they've actually been doing quite a decent job coming from nowhere to actually getting a couple percentage points in the wearable market. Uh, I think that that's up for grabs probably to Amazon or Microsoft, since it seems to be the same players every time. <clears throat> So you're, you're going to – because you need these all these things to work together where you have the uh, the home listening device where you, you know, you've got Alexa or you've got Google Home or Apple's, whatever they call it. What does Apple call theirs? Is it Apple Home? I don't even know what it is. It doesn't matter. Whatever these listening spy <laughs> devices matter. are, whatever these devices matter. that are spying on our lives <laughs> and, and uh, endangering our privacy, you have to hook that up with the wearable device it seems like people are getting accustomed to using the watch uh, to, to monitor their health activity and, and whatever that they're doing. So it makes perfect sense for them to go into this. And so this will just spur on more acquisitions in the area, in my opinion. So I don't know what your take is, but that's what I, I think. It's yeah, no, I think it's incredibly smart by them because the the whole wearable. I mean, Apple has come out and said straight up that they're that they're moving into this wearable, you know, the you know, any day they're going to have their their augmented reality glasses, and they've 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 been making moves to get into the the wearables for, and it's going to be huge. The wearables idea is going to be become a much bigger thing than it is today. And by the way, this is we shouldn't forget voice, right? To you know something you've been covering on this show for the past few episodes. You know, this has everything to do with. Google's, you know, foray into uh, into the voice market, yep. you know, a, an Good article point. that we're not covering <clears throat> that I actually covered on the, the other podcast is they also announced this week that their new what they call BERT, um, which is the new uh, algorithm update for Google search. Um, which is a huge piece of news, by the way, um, it, by where Google is basically saying we're not going to look at keywords in the same way anymore. We're looking at context. So it's going to understand if I write in the Google you know, um, box, uh, I'm trying to travel to Brazil. It's going to know whether to give me results only from U.S. to Brazil, right? What's it, you know, what are the rules and regulations instead of just everything that fits within those keywords? That's directly a, a you know a, a beneficial result for search for our voice because that's how we ask voice right we don't typically when we put in keywords to um, search for you know on the on a computer we just put in a bunch of keywords but with voice we actually ask a question and yep. so it's going to be huge for this and so when Fitbit and wearables start becoming you know watches etc become uh, more voice activated it's a it's a huge step in that direction as well so i like it for so many different synergistic reasons for what they you know for what they're doing what how many years do you think it's going to take until 
voice search takes over keyboard search? Uh, I think probably, well, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I think we're looking at half a dozen years. Um, I think six and years. And the reason for that is I don't think it's ever going to, you know, it's one of those things where I'm not sure it'll ever like be replaced, but it's certainly going to grow, you know, as wearables become more of a thing, it's certainly going to grow and grow and grow, right? Well, yeah, you, know, you don't have my, to go. I mean, just think about it right now. If I'm in my living room and I want to search for something on Google, I, by habit, I pull out my phone and I go to Google, go open up the uh, Safari, and I'm going to type something in, and I get yeah. my results. But if I think of something in, I don't know when my behavior is going to change, but I'm sure it will because my son does this. He walks into a room and he uses his wearable device and he says, hey, Siri, you know, how, how many... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, the audience hates you right now because a bunch of their devices just went off as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, from my phone. Jeez, I hate this. Uh, yeah. I'm so old school. But yeah. he does Well, that. and hence the reason that it's having trouble right now, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. my gosh. But that is that is a huge thing. So I, I, yeah. I, I agree with you. This is just the start. And by the way, we I think we all should acknowledge, like we've done many times talking on this show, how many billions of dollars... Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, and Google have to purchase these companies. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's it is, crazy. Uh, I mean, yeah. you're you're talking about probably the GDP of more than Europe if you took it those took those four companies. Maybe, maybe I don't know. We'll have to look at that. How many billions of dollars are <laughs> probably a trillion dollars in free cash between well, those four companies? Let's just put it this way. Let's put it into perspective, right? So Google just spent like literally in a cash deal to buy Fitbit, what basically eh, almost 40% of Twitter's entire revenue. So there you yeah, go. That's it. Wonder what Twi- I wonder when Twitter's going to go. I guess that's, that's that should happen. That should yeah, happen they're soon. They're doing well. I mean, for, for the size they are, they're doing, they've, talking they, about, they've had good results. You're talking about Twitter? Yeah. Yeah, Twi- Tw- Twitter's stock got hammered because they missed estimates. Right. But their user growth is actually starting to pick up for the first time in a long time. So yeah. that's very positive. Do you have anything on the whole firework TikTok? Uh, you know, other than thing? just sort of, other than sort of, I, I, I suspect it will happen at some point um, because, uh, again, they can pick it up for pocket change and a bucket of pucks. Um, and so I, I think they'll, they'll, there's no reason that they're not going to do it. I, I, I would suspect that, you know, that, that, that acquisition is coming very soon. Um, whether they can actually supplant TikTok or not, or whether anyone cares, quite frankly, about TikTok, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed at the growth of TikTok. You know, you, you see these come along all the time because when I see, I'm very skeptical when I see something like firework, I'm like, that's not going to make it. There's definitely, right. that's definitely, you know, I mean, even though Vine and so TikTok is sort of a, a version of, of Vine, but I'm amazed in, cause my son is 16 years old and how many of him and his friends use TikTok like crazy. Uh, and I, I never saw something like that coming. I'm wondering, is it possible? This is a far fetch, but it could be possible that Google's back cause they want to get back into China. They really, really do, and they can't figure out that market for various reasons, and we can talk about why in some other episode. But it would be interesting if Google would, instead of going after Firecracker or whatever, Firecrack, what is it? Firework? Firework. <laughs> well, I was saying Firecrack. Whatever whatever that is, that's not going to work. It'd be interesting to see if they would go to the Chinese-owned TikTok and invest in that and to give them a kind of a rope back into the Chinese market. So, yeah. I, you know, here's, here's what I'll say. I wonder if today's apps like Firework and TikTok and, 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 and those kinds of things are not, you know, sort of not dissimilar from the boy bands of the 90s, right? You know, where the kids all rally around one of them and you become, you know, a team TikTok or team Firework or team whatever. And you sort of, they everybody gets all excited about it for about a year. And then it sort of loses, you know, you know, Snapchat's a great example of this, right? How hot was Snapchat? And, 
Eh, now it's not anymore. It's just you know well, it's still got making, us, I mean, we you know, it's we, still got us classic fans, right? Well, you know, so just like you know, true. just like you you know, you become a fan of uh, Justin, and you know, you're going to always remain a fan of Justin, and and there will, but it becomes sort of the hot sort of fad of the you know the day. You know, it becomes our parents' version of the hula hoop, right? You know, so it's like this is what they are on, what are all, everybody's doing now, but then eh, it just sort of fades away, and some of them will fade away like completely because they'll have you know drug problems and get caught with you know bad things in the trunk of their car or some of them will last a little bit with a small core audience that that allows them to sort of succeed and become big in brazil you know and or you know or some of them sort of remain sort of popular i i think i think it's they're very they feel very much to me like um pop bands right the these 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 apps you just compared Snapchat to the hula hoop. Yeah, there you go. I didn't see that I coming. That's, yeah. All right. Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> yes, um, to it. our final story of the uh, covering the detail, which is, of course, from our good friend, wonderful friend, and very, very smart Andy Crestadina. Every single year, Orbit Media Studios, um, his wonderful company and agency, uh, provides a wonderful original research project on what the state of blogging. Um, and as Andy says in his blog post releasing this year's research five years ago on a summer day, we set out to learn more about this thing called blogging. We made a little survey, did a lot of outreach, and eventually got a thousand bloggers to respond. Now, 2019, the annual blogging survey, in it you'll find a gold mine of blogging statistics, data, and trends. Together, the numbers tell the story of huge changes in blogging and content marketing. And what say you, Joe? Because I know you've got a take on the, the research results here. Well, I love this. I mean, I've, I think I've completed the survey every year. and, and uh, As have I. And, and yeah, and I. Andy's yeah. been nice enough to, to send some of the results ahead of time, and I could look at them and, and pontificate on their meaning. And I'll do so today as well. But the, the, the couple things stick out, and I want to run a few of these past you. So it's just amazing. So the average blog post takes four hours to write now, up 65% from 2014. So we're spending way more time writing. We're also writing longer. So the average post is over 1,200 words uh, in 2014. That was well, well under 1,000. And I just want, I love this. There's this one chart. I'm not going to go through all these because if you, if you have, if you blog, you should just go through this research and we'll put it in the show notes. But I love these. He says, the least common blogging tactics are the most effective. And this is what I think is so cool. So some of these that I'll just pull out, write, writing 20 plus draft headlines per article. So if you do this, bloggers who do it are 1%, and the ones that do it are incredibly way more successful than, than average. I don't know of a lot of people that do that, but it's just interesting. It shows you how important headlines are. Where I see a lot of companies that do blogging, they spend so much time on the article themselves, and then they just do one headline. And they're like, hey, done. Um, those that publish articles that are over 2,000 words do better. Interesting, right? Amazing, uh, yeah. Yeah, isn't that something? Uh, those that promote content using paid channels do better. That I love. Because, I mean, come on, we got we to gotta put some money behind promotion. You and I have talked about this all the time. Uh, what are some other ones here? Conduct and publish original research. We've talked about that as an amazing content marketing activity for most organizations. Uh, and those that spend over six hours on an article, I can tell you right now that most companies are are doing that. They don't want to spend time on it. So those are just some of the ones that stuck out for me. I don't know if you had a take on some of these, or, or you know, most of the people that listen to this are working for brands. Anything that they could take out of it? Well, the two that I mean sort of immediately jump to mind are the the the, the longer, you know, so longer isn't necessarily just longer it's it's i think what's in to me what's implied in that are deeper right deeper yeah, more higher more quality you know sort of explorations of topics rather than and i think i'm certainly anecdotally seeing that in what i'm surfing these days right i am not you know the the classic 300 to 500 word post that sort of tease up a thing. You know, there, there are exceptions to this, right? Like Seth Godin. Like Seth Godin writes, you know, 200 word posts that are 
pithy and easy to consume. Something and to think about. I, yeah. Yep. Something to think about. And it's just asking a question, um, you know, and arguably that's what I write every week with my little weekly note um, that I send out to the CMI audience. Um, and, and so there's exceptions to that. But when we're exploring a topic of thought leadership, of trying to really get into the depth of things, you know, I think the the, the length is, is really uh, an important one. Um, I think interesting, and it's also mentioned in the research, uh, is like number of images, et cetera. So how much those longer posts also have things like charts, graphs, images to break up, not only break up the text, but also go deeper into you know the the various topics as as well, right? Which I think is also an important uh, aspect of this. And then yes, the the paid promotion stuff is is absolutely huge these days. You know, we just um, we just completed some research um, that'll be coming out in the next couple of months that shows how important um, not only the paid promotion is, but how important writing good headlines for paid promotion really improves the the media spend and so those two things i think go right together i think that's that that's probably a good one to just close on the whole research is yes you can create amazing content but don't forget that or it's very hard today to just do it organically and make it work you at least at least until you build an audience like if you have your audience intact you you might not need paid promotion but i always think that we should be thinking about especially the number of outlets if you're saying look I'm going to create a blog and we in our we also have an audience on LinkedIn you might want to consider pairing that and doing a, oh, li- yeah. a little bit of market LinkedIn the marketing yeah, yeah exactly market, market I mean, the marketing you know this is and this gets to our whole you know what we I mean you and I have been talking about this for years I mean we wrote a book on it which is you know treating our content like a product and and as an, as an important as a product in terms of the way that we manage it, promote it, care for it, you know, create, you know, value for it, looking at the publications, the media experiences that we're creating for our for our audiences in the same way that we would a product. And so if we do that, it deserves a promotional budget, it deserves a PR budget, it deserves an activation budget, it deserves all the things that would make it successful as a product. And it just gets me thinking that I mean, you and, and you've been wonderful to work with me on on my new uh, novel coming out, and learn look learning about promoting that has probably been the most fascinating thing. And when I read what other authors have done, especially when you realize that ninety percent of all authors sell less than a thousand books, which yeah. you realize is, and some of those, by the way, are really really good. But the problem is, is that you could have the best book in the world out there if you don't have a marketing plan and a marketing budget behind it. You might as well not even do it. So That's I'm right. learning how important, and it, it's funny. If you said, what's more important, the book or the marketing, I'd be hard-pressed to give you an answer. You have to have both because, I mean, of course you'd want – you don't want to, I mean, hopefully I'm, I'm not marketing a really crappy book. Like that's, that's my biggest fear. <laughs> it's like we're putting a lot of resources behind a horrible book, but let's just say it's a good book. Uh, you have to have the promotion and the dollars to, to get it out there, or you might just be wasting a lot of time. And that's, that's where I feel bad. And a lot of authors just don't have the promotion budget to spend. So you have to do a lot of guerrilla tactics, but you, you could spend six months maybe nine months before your book comes out and all you're doing is working on marketing. So anyways. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of marketing, speaking of paid promotion, we have a sponsor we have to talk about. Here's my question. Why is what? every one of these sponsorships I'm talking about features you? I, <laughs> well, you know. What? Uh, yeah. What? I want. I, okay. I mean, I'll read it. I mean, I'll do this because <laughs> I sort of have to, but I'm not yeah. happy about it. Okay. Okay. You ready? All right. I No. All right. Fair enough. Uh, fair enough. There's, uh, you yeah, know, there's... Duly noted. Protestation <laughs> duly noted. Yeah. So the. The Agency Masterclass is coming up November 14th in New York City. That's right. Robert Rose, that's you. Oh, I've heard of him. Will teach the fundamentals of content marketing and how you can apply them advantageously for your agency and, of course, your clients. 
So Robert, you're going to take a deep dive look into content marketing principles and really focus on one of an agency's most urgent and often most difficult challenges, responding to the RFP. Now, my the way that I would deal with it, Robert, is just don't respond to the RFP. But you're going to teach people how to respond to the RFP. Well, Jonathan Prancer, so my lovely partner in this endeavor, is going to do the RFP part. And I'm going to do the content marketing strategy part. Very so, good. Oh, yeah. So we should mention. So you're, this masterclass features you, and your name is Robert Rose. That's and correct. And also my friend, Jonathan Kranz. And by the way, I have to mention, you're both amazing presenters. And what's funny, a little side tidbit, a lot of people don't know this. One of my, probably my first presentation I ever did on content marketing with somebody else was Jonathan Kranz. So, is that right? Uh, yeah, we we did it. We for we did a content marketing presentation for OpenView Venture Partners. I think this was 2008 in Boston. So it's amazing. But anyways, so if you're an agency, you should go to this masterclass. Really easy to get to in New York City. Go to cmi.media/masterclass. That's cmi.media/masterclass. You can save a hundred dollars if you. They even put you in the coupon code. Come on. Uh, right? Come on now. Come on. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. Come on, man. Okay, Rose 100. Rose, I I'm getting sick to my stomach. Rose 100 <laughs> <laughs> will save you $100. You should come. You should come to this thing. What? You should come. You should come to New York. You should come and sit in the class. It's going to help you. It's going to help you, Joe. I think so. I'm, I'm. I don't think I can finish the show. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a fun day. I think we're going to have a good time. It, it sounds interesting. It sounds, it's going to be good. If I was, it's going to be good. If I was in an agency, I would go to this. Yeah, but, it's going to be good. I mean, at, you know, and I mean, uh, look, you know, you're going to get some. You know, it's going to be the, the RFP stuff is fantastic. I've seen Jonathan um, and the material there, you know, sort of it. And that's valuable. And the stuff, you know, I mean, I, I, most of what I'm doing is really helping an agency understand how to build content marketing strategy as a service for your clients. Um, <clears throat> so that's, I think, a, 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 a wonderful piece of this is sort of teaching what I know about delivery of strategy to clients. And so it, that's a bit fun um, as well. And plus, you're going to have all kinds of uh, Shakespeare puns, you know. So I've been calling this Rosencrans and Gildenstern are dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's pretty good. The to tons of Tom Stoppard jokes will be flying. So how do you how do you how do you not go to that? Yeah, it's a <laughs> boy. I'm, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I don't I'm either. Just, it's, it's amazing. I'm amazed. That I, I really may just come for the Shakespeare references. All Maybe. right, let's move along. <laughs> uh, it's your favorite part of the show, folks, and uh, it's wonderful where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like, oh, Baker Mayfield and the, being the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns or something that makes us feel a little more like the Dallas Cowboys these days. Um, see what I did there? See what I did? See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, let's see. You're going to go first because go you've first. got a wonderful little rave to talk about. First, how do we know it's their favorite part of the show? You, That's you true. We don't. That all the we time. actually don't. Yes, I do say that all the time. And I'm, I'm, I, I've heard this. People have told me that they really love the rants and rave section. But it's a good point that, you know, it's uh, it, it may not be people's hey, favorite. With somebody, part of it. it may not be empirically okay. the favorite part of the if show. If you're listening to this and you're uh, your arm's length from Twitter, which you probably are. No, don't do this. I want to know. Don't listen. All right. No, I want to tweet out at this old marketing. You don't have to. They don't have to add us. Just say I want to know what your favorite part of the show is. Because honestly, maybe they're saying maybe we're talking too long and we shouldn't have an hour episode. Maybe we should have a 45 minute episode. Right. Maybe they're like, skip rants and raves altogether. We'd be done right now. I would actually be somewhere else. All right. Well, so if you want to help Joe have more of a okay. restful lifestyle, yeah. you know how to answer that yeah, question. Exactly. Folks. Okay. Here, so yeah. here's my rave. Yes. This week, we had, do you know what the Common app is? Have you heard of no, this? I do not know this. Oh, wait a minute. Is that the meditation thing? No, it has nothing to do with it. Oh, oh maybe. I guess it depends on... 
on, yeah. on your uh, on your perspective. No, um, if you have a son or a daughter that is applying for college, ah, applying for yes. college, the great thing I love whoever created this is amazing because you don't have to complete individual applications for colleges and universities anymore. You put everything, all your stuff and all your answers and your essay into something called the Common App. And then when you're ready, you just select the schools you want to apply to, and it shoots all that information off, which is a big time saver, I got to tell you. Wow, that is huge, yeah. But when you do this, most of them have additional questions. So what I found is, and and Joshua, who is applying to colleges and universities right now, Joshua's 18, senior in high school, he chose seven, seven different universities that he wanted to apply to. And he, so he sends them off. And of course, he starts filling out the individual questions, the unique questions from the colleges and universities. And Robert, you wouldn't, wouldn't you predict what the, these are mostly, uh, what do you think you can add to our university or what made you choose, you know, whatever they're, they're, sure. they're, yeah. they're all that question. Open-ended Why, questions. Or, or, yeah. yeah. Or what would you add to the XYZ experience? That they're that's all they're all around there, and I'm like, I'm really getting discouraged because he sort you sort of answer that in your essay. You could sort of show what kind of a person you are. They should know that. I don't think you're going to get any. They're basically not differentiating themselves with the questions that they send out. I was very uh, I was unimpressed. And then we got to one university. So he's applying to a university in North Carolina called Elon University. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, so Josh was, he, he might have switched his opinion on his college choice just from the questions they sent him. So I, these are the first three questions. This is great. So he's used to, he's used to, he's going to have to BS some stupid thing like, oh, I'll add a lot to the university and I like computers right, sure. or whatever the case is. Right. But the first question for Milan is, what's the news headline in the year 2040? <laughs> and he's nice. stumped. He's like, "Oh my god, this is awesome." And he but he put actually his his response, let me get this right, was um oh, oh, oh his response was mind reading. Trump wins 7th no, term. Oh god, please no. <laughs> no, his response was mind reading, is it ethical? I thought that was great. Anyway. Oh, that's The second fantastic. question. Yeah, the second question fantastic was headline. Yeah, the second question was Tell us your three favorite songs of all time. I mean, how can you not learn a lot from somebody by the three favorite songs? Of course. Songs? Fantastic. So put those on. Question. Uh, uh, his first one was a Beatles one, by the way. And yeah. his third question was, if you started a food truck business, what would it be and what would be the name of the food truck? Oh, you know, another great question. You know what I'm so all I'm saying is, and how does this is this relevant to this old marketing, is just be different. They don't have to do the same thing because you know they don't read that. You know the other ones don't read that stuff anyways because they all say right. the same thing. Like, That's right. Why don't you do something? And Elon was able to differentiate themselves with those three easy questions to ask. And now I don't think he was thinking about Elon, and he probably is now just because of that one little thing. So I just wanted to send a rave out to them. They're doing a good job. Whoever's working on that gets two snaps up. So there you go. <laughs> Two snaps up. <laughs> oh my gosh, you are so so woefully unhip. Uh, I, yeah, I, I got my. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I got dad like jokes it. and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, yeah. it was it was it was fun to go through that. Now you you have you keep have some, the thermostat down, and I'm going to give you two snaps up, kids. <laughs> All right, you have uh, you have a rave and a, and a couple I, of rants, I think. Right? I do. I, I just have. Well, they're they're tied together. Oh, they're tied. Um, the rant is right. is tied together. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so I'll start with my my quick rant here, um, which is yet again the proliferation of uh, titles, um, uh, headlines that talk about the death of the CMO title. Um, two articles that we will uh, uh, sort of link in the show notes. One is from the Wall Street Journal, the other from CNBC. I'll just mention the Wall Street Journal article because it's uh, sort of, um, it's it's more sort of headliney than the other one, which is CMO titles will continue to wane. And that's a good thing, say analysts. Now, here's side note, just quick side note here. Forrester Research, 
whoever you've now switched your PR firm over to, kudos to them because the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, CNBC have been covering Forrester reports that say absolutely nothing um, uh, for the last <laughs> couple of weeks. I have just, I, it's been amazing to me. There, there was a New York Times article that said basically, Ads are dead because people don't like ads. That was the Forrester Report's basic conclusion in one of its reports brilliant, that people brilliant. don't like. It's brilliant. Um, but the brilliance of it is, quite frankly, it's like the Kim Kardashian of, of uh, analyst reports because they're doing nothing, but they're getting this amazing coverage. So kudos. I'm actually in quite impressed. And, and, and so there you have it. But, but basically... Both of these come from a Forrester report. Um, well, one comes from a CMO. Uh, they, they reference a CMO uh, 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 association report. And the other is from Forrester that basically says CMO titles are going to continue to wane, and that's a good thing. And that we talked about this a couple of shows ago. If you read any of these articles, um, they're saying that basically the CMO is, is, is decreasing in influence, losing their chair at the strategic table, and being sort of replaced with things like chief customer officer or chief digital officer or chief now that there's the new one, chief growth officer. And we talked about this a couple of shows ago, but I just it's worth ranting on a little bit again, which is... This is just ridiculous. Um, the, first of all, the, the CMO role couldn't be more important these days. I, I'll just I'll go to my grave saying that maybe, but but I think a leadership and creativity as well as the science of marketing and having someone represent that function of the business at the highest levels of the company could not be more important. I don't care what you call it, whether it's the chief growth officer, chief customer officer, chief marketing officer, chief creative. I don't care now. The relevant argument is, do we want to have, is it too big for one person these days? Maybe. But then we have to have that same discussion about the CEO role, the CFO role, the CIO role. We have to have all those same discussions about all those roles of whether the C-level suite is is too big for any one person. So it's not just related to marketing and the customer experience. That's not too big for one person if finance or if in, the chief information and chief technology and chief executive officers aren't also too big for one person. So, you know, to me, it, it's as I see these things happening in businesses, and by the way, we've been working more and more with the CMO level folks at the clients we've been working on these are brilliant people for the most part. These are, they're, they're, marketing is hard these days. It's complex. There are lots of multi-layers to it. What I have seen actually be the real problem here is not the inability of the CMO to lead. It's quite frankly the strangulation of what I call the middle class. The strangulation of the middle management, right, where we're pushing more and more of what we would normally call, you know, lieutenant level management of marketing strategy down to the practitioners and quite frankly, leveling up the sort of senior level management into more of the politics and managing of silos, et cetera. We've lost a whole class of managers that are actually setting strategy and doing things. And that to me is the big shame of what's going on in big businesses these days of where they're losing efficacy in marketing. So anyway, I, I could go off on a rant on that for another hour, but but I just wanted to sort of bring it up and, and, and rant on it. Um, my rave uh, this week, um, by the way, courtesy, huge hat tip to friend and family of the show. We mentioned her earlier, Bethany Johnson, who sent me this article. It's just a wonderful one, um, and I'll cover it very quickly which is uh, coming to us from Marketing Land, uh, marketingland.com. And the headline here is GDPR compliant companies are outperforming their peers across a wide range of metrics. And this is a research report that just come out from Capgemini that looks to the companies that have implemented successfully real GDPR um, uh, types of programs. Uh, and they found a couple of interesting things that I just note. 28%, by the way, uh, of firms surveyed have actually successfully deployed GDPR. So that means more than just a pop-up on your website, but they've actually done um, uh, actual GDPR and CCPA um, compliance and living to the spirit of that. And then more importantly, those that have um, 92% of them basically say their organization has com has gained a competitive advantage, which I think is just fascinating. So things like 
impact on consumer ratings, impact on customer satisfaction, impact on customer trust uh, are all up based on um, living not only in compliance, but in the spirit of GDPR. Fascinating article, one I think everybody should go read because GDPR and CCPA are only gonna become more prevalent in at, as 2020 rolls around here and um, something that uh, is, is super important to get your arms around for, for marketing and data collection. So that's my rave, uh, my rave on that, and then my rant on you know basically the disappearing CMO, which is just hooey in my opinion. <clears throat> By the way, I don't even. I, I I'm just thinking about this because you sent the New York Times. You're a New York Times subscriber, correct? I am indeed. Yes, Matt, New York Times and Wall Street Journal. So I'm I'm, I'm not a New York Times subscriber, but I you keep sending me New York Times articles, and I I can't I couldn't oh, read them. Yeah, so sorry I had for to, that. That's yeah. fine. No, no, no. It's it's no problem. So I had to subscribe. So you can actually subscribe to for free. They do it really easily. They say. Well, you're not a subscriber, but really easy. Just put in your email address. It's if if you want to know an interesting system of how to get people to sign up for your newsletter, look at what New York Times is doing. I don't know if I like it all that much, but it's fairly effective because you just put in your email address. You can submit. The next one is an oh, then you get a password, and then you get your other options, and it'll say what do you like, what do you not like. You can skip it if you want to, but they just sign. You know, they sign me up as a newsletter subscriber. Plus, I'm subscribed to the site. I get all the, you know, at least I don't know how many free articles I get a month for no cost. It's just an interesting way for them to drive email subscriptions, which is the thing that's taking their business model to the next step. So I just when yeah. you said GDPR, you know, we're talking in a lot of cases we're talking about double opt in. Um, so sure, well, it's 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 mostly no, it's just what, that, but, yeah, yeah, what are they getting for their data and how is their data treated? Yeah, is really exactly. the is really the key there. Yeah. So, okay. So what are you doing this week? What's, what's going on for you this weekend? What am I uh, doing? We have, uh, Mr. Joe Kalinowski's annual Halloween party, uh, coming up. So that is, and I can't say, well, I can probably say it cause nobody's gonna, you know, nobody's going to hear this until Monday, but right. I'm Elmo. I'm going as Elmo. And I'm going to oh, tell you why I'm going as you. Elmo. It's a well, big... one because you can do the voice, but the, what's the other reason? No, because it's going to be like 30 degrees, and I'm going to be cold. So I base oh, that's my, cute. I base right. my yeah, costumes yeah. based on the amount of clothes I can wear. So I can put all kinds of clothes on underneath, and then, and of course, I can do the voice too. So yes, you know, but I'm not going to do it and, here. Oh, come on now, you got. I mean, you got to do it now. Do you want I mean, me to do it? You really? Of course, you got to do it. You have to do it now. Okay. <clears throat> Hold on, I gotta, I gotta prep for this. Yeah. Hello, Robert. I love you. Hello, <laughs> so. everybody. This is the sword marketing, and you should listen to it. Yay. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, that, um, yeah, that, that, that is all you need to know, my friends. Yeah, that, so we, that we is got... real. That is real. That is not, that we did not put that in post production. That is a real, real thing. So. I apologize in advance to <laughs> yeah. to everyone for um, for that. Why so, don't you, you should just stop there, is yeah. basically. The, yeah. yeah, I just uh, dropped the mic on that one. So, what do you got going on this weekend? Uh, I have um, uh, very little going on this weekend other than the fact that I'm flying to Korea. Um, so I will be spending the next yeah, week. Yeah, that's in, nothing. That's yeah, in I'm going to Korea next week to do the Content Marketing Asia Forum, uh, which I did last year, which is their inaugural event, and I'll be um, keynoting that as well as conducting a workshop there, as well as working with all the fine folks um, at the event to bring content marketing to Korea. Um, so it's going to be a fun week, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. And yeah, then I'll be back next. Uh, I'll be back at the end of next week. Wow, long trip. So yeah. safe, safe, safe travels, my friend. Thank you for that. Thank you, you for that. Well, folks, that's it um, for for Joe and me and Elmo. Uh, we are signing off of episode number 220. That's right. 220 episodes in the can, folks. Get yourself a shiny new subscription if you haven't already um, and all of that. And of course, the reviews hit us up. Um, in fact, sign sign up for multiple subscriptions, right? You know, get get all your email addresses subscribed to this thing. That's what you really need to do and get a bunch of reviews in there and all that stuff. We have a goal. We want to be the number one marketing podcast and uh, we are hot on that goal. Um, we are publishing twice a month now, basically every other week. And yes, we know we saw you on social. Uh, we are planning a bonus episode at some point very soon. Um, more info on that will be coming. Um, and for now, where can, is it your new website is up? You've got your newsletter going. How's that uh, going? Joe? Oh yeah. At, at JoePolizzi.com, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I. Newsletter's going great. 
so really having a, a ball doing my articles every other week. And uh, of course, everything about the book, The Will to Die is on there as well. But uh, yeah, if you, if, you, uh, if you are interested in marketing, <laughs> you like my take on it, which some people might not. And you won't get the Elmo voice in the newsletter. <laughs> doesn't happen. You can subscribe at JoePolizzi.com. And you have all kinds of things, but you have your... Your newsletter Absolutely. that goes out every yeah. There's weeks, a newsletter right? that you can that you can subscribe to. There's blogs that you can where do, read. Where do they there's go? All sorts of where, stuff. Where do we uh, go? Thank you for that. <laughs> we, we, where do we go? Head over, head over to <laughs> dub dub dub, as it were, contentadvisory.net or our fancy new uh, URL, which is tci tca.inc tca.inc. That's tca.inc. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. Um, hashtag us up, won't you? This old marketing on social media story ideas. We love all that stuff. Everything we talked about will be in the show notes. Um, And remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks on This Old Marketing.